Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for, a podcast for podcasters. This is Creating the Greatest Show, and I'm your host, Casey Cheshire. Join me as we interview podcast hosts and investigate the ingredients of a successful interview podcast. We'll talk mistakes, earned skills, powerful questions, and more. This show is sponsored by Ringmaster, completely done for you, B2B podcast production. Here it is. Here it is. I am so excited. We're starting a new thing, a new podcast, new journey. And oh man, I, I couldn't think to start with a better guest. I can't wait to introduce you to him. He has been on many other shows. I've known him for quite a while. He's a thought leader, a movement maker, a speaker, a multi-book author. And much of what he's written and, and, and thought about and spoken about is around human communication and the use of video to help convey that humanity, which is I mean, who better to start the show, right? So author, human-centered communication and rehumanize your business. His podcast is the Customer Experience Podcast, Chief Evangelist at BombBomb. Ethan Butte, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Like when you reached out, Casey, I knew it was, it was an obvious yes. I mean, there, there wasn't a question. It's just a matter of when. I didn't realize I was so early in getting this thing off the ground. That's a privilege. Yeah, man. Well, I, we even, we workshopped some of the questions and we're going to get right down to it. But that being said, it's time for me to exit stage left and ask you the question that we're going to use. And this is the first time I'm saying it. Pull back the curtain for us on your show and share your most important strategy for what makes a great interview podcast? In one term, I'll say guest experience. Wow. My, a theory that I developed for myself, and I have not been steered away from it by any experience that I've had over the three years of doing the show, I developed this idea about, as I was reflecting on what was going well, what could be going better, et cetera, I came to the clear understanding that the better the experience I could make for the guest, the better everything else would go. And by that, I mean, if you take care of the guest and make them feel comfortable and confident that you put them in a position to be their best selves, to feel confident and comfortable with you, to share great insights. I think if you as the host can do something like ask a couple of good questions or follow-up questions that makes them think about themselves or the way they think about the work that they do a little bit differently, you're leaving them with a gift besides the exposure and the, you know, the other benefits of guesting on a show. I, as a guest have left some conversation saying, gosh, you know, that was so refreshing. I haven't thought about that in a long time, or I haven't thought about that in that way. I'm so glad that person asked me that question. Like if you can leave those little things. And then of course the, the, the post-show stuff, like creating assets that reflect favorably on them, following up with them in a meaningful way, et cetera. So to me, guest experience is the key to a successful podcast, because if the guest isn't comfortable, then you're not going to be comfortable. If neither of you is super comfortable or confident, then it's not going to be a great conversation to listen to. So I think it all goes to the guest experience. And I'll just offer like a few important steps in that. Yeah. The first is obviously to prep them in advance. And it's not just, hey, this is going to be, a, 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 you know, a 30-minute episode and, and uh, you know, here are a couple of the questions we ask. It, it's really just prepping them and, and, you know, of course, being available to answer questions, which is what I receive a lot uh, as a guest. 
It's the other benefit, by the way. The more you can guest on other shows, the better a host you'll be, mm, I think. Because you can feel um, what it's like to yeah, get Yeah, yeah, you're on both sides and, and you're constantly pushing and pulling. And yeah. anyway, making sure that they're as comfortable and confident in advance of even jumping on to record as possible. Obviously, preparing yourself in advance. I probably put at minimum 30 minutes into every episode and at most, you know, if I'm reading someone's book, taking notes, ripping my own notes apart to decide what I really want to get into with them, you know, besides the standard questions, you know, something that I hear after interviewing authors is, you know, you actually read the book. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did read the book because they're typically getting asked questions about the title, the subtitle and the introduction or the table of contents, right? People are going like three pages deep. And if you can even go 30 or, you know, whole page, a whole book deep, they can tell the difference. And so your own prep is something that they can feel and enhances the guest experience. Setting the tone right off the top, of course, I think this is going to be a common response to this type of question. You know, your energy, your ability to let them know right away that you put your homework in without saying, hey, I did a bunch of homework. You actually demonstrate it, you know, like in a tangible way. Yeah. Uh, so setting the tone off the top so that you're just out of the gates running. Asking good follow-up questions requires active listening. That was something that took me a while to get really comfortable doing, but dramatically enhances the guest experience, as I kind of already described. Also makes for a better listener experience. Then the last thing, and I already mentioned this too a little bit, is, you know, making them look great and sound great in the episode, in the episode promotion, in the episode assets is another key. So that's one of the reasons that, that I do blog posts for every episode. Now, the, the blog posts in general, I was just looking at analytics from the past 12 months in Google Analytics, and the best podcast blog posts are doing about one-fifth of the streams and downloads of the episodes. That's to say... The blog posts take a lot of work. They're not driving a ton of traffic, mm. but it still enhances the guest. It is driving traffic, by the way. They're not bad. Right. But it's it's an audio format, at least my show is. And so I still do them because it gives me something I can share with the guest to say, you look like the expert, genius, superstar, gentle, kind, thoughtful person that you are. Like whatever, whatever you evoked for me and for listeners in that experience, it's reflected in that, in that blog post. And so it's kind of a home base that they can point to. So it's not just this kind of ephemeral thing that's out in your favorite podcast app, but you're like, here's a real thing where you're, right. you know, in the headline, you're in there in images, you're in there in video clips, and it feels like a proper treatment of your investment in the show. Proper treatment. I love that, man. Man, you're on fire. We we just literally clicked the button like I seven love, minutes ago. I love podcasting. And, I dude, love I've almost run out of space on, on the first page already. So, so much to dive in. And it, but it sounds like to go back to your original, the strategy for what kind of glues it all together for you as guest experience and, and like minding the guest. It sounds like almost like this is like a, like a why or a purpose or a or mission behind it all. And then the question is, should I do this or shouldn't I? And if it, if it enhances the guest experience, you're doing it. Approximately right. Yeah. I mean, we all have to operate within our limits, but yeah, that's a, that's a pretty fair summary. I mean, it, because, because you have to make decisions. I mean, this is one of many, many things that I'm responsible for. I at least have the privilege of this kind of 
A, I'm a salaried employee at a software company. Right. And this is part of my job responsibilities. I know that a lot of people doing a podcast, this is on top of other, you know, full-time jobs or, you know, they're running a small agency or something like that. And they have a number of, you know, and they have to do, they have to write a book or host a podcast on top of all their other stuff, which is to say nothing about our personal lives. So I at least have the privilege that this is part of my job. And that when I tell people I'm investing in preparing for an interview or executing an interview or putting together the materials for, you know, the release of an episode, people don't, oh, he's doing his job. And I know that that's a privilege, but even I still have to make some of those judgment calls about, do we stop doing this? Do we modify how we're doing that? And, and you're right. I think guest experience is a great filter for anyone as they're thinking about what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, what they should revise, what they should add, what they should eliminate. I think guest experience is, is a really good filter for that. Yeah, it's a great filter. And I love the emphasis on, look, we're all, let's be real here. It takes time to do this, time and money. So you really got to think about the investment of whatever activity yet guest experience but at the same time we we got to feed our family so like we're balancing that out if if i were to ask you just knee-jerk reaction what's the biggest bang for the buck on guest experience if you can only do one thing what, do you, what would it be i think it really is the advanced prep where you can make someone feel seen heard and appreciated and i know that sounds a little bit soft but i'll walk it out for just a moment especially if you're interviewing people who appear on, on other shows, you know, certainly an author is very often, you know, of their own effort or by hiring someone to book them on podcasts, you know, they're doing a number of podcasts, but, you know, even short of that, someone that's doing three or four or five podcasts, right. I'm going to put this in other marketing terms. Now, people that are looking at three or four or five vendor websites, people that are looking at three or four or five ads, in the landing pages that they click through to people that are looking at three or four or five emails. You want to be the one that is memorable. You want to be the one where they stand back and say, gosh, you know, I looked at a bunch of vendors or I I guessed it on a bunch of podcasts. You know, I'm just trying to keep this in parallel. You want to be the one that they remember. And a, the podcast format is fantastic because it is such a human direct synchronous co-created hopefully co-promoted experience. So it's already has an advantage over a number of other channels, but in particular, it is a huge point of pride, I guess, when someone says, Hey man, I got to tell you, I do a bunch of these shows and this was, this is one of the best ones I've done. Yeah. And, and it's because of the prep special it's because of the prep. It's because I'm not asking, you know, the exact same questions that they've been asked on all the other shows. It's a unique experience for them. They're made to feel confident and comfortable. And I really want to get into what their focus or interest or concern or frustration or excitement is. And you're not going to get that with three minutes of prep by scanning their LinkedIn profile and knowing what their company and title are, you know, going a little bit deeper puts you in a better position to make them feel amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've experienced the opposite. I've, I've experienced either the invite or even the show. Actually, have I, have I, I think I've only I've rejected the formulaic shows, but like I, I've been to shows where it seems very much like, you know, he, he fill out my form, you're in my funnel, do my thing. And then, and it's like, what did that host even get out of it? Cause I know I, 
I mean, maybe I promoted myself, but I don't know what I got out of it. And it, I mean, I'm in it for the connection sometimes. Well, usually. So I'm not really sure what you, with that poor guest experience, like why even do it if you're going to make a poor experience? Yeah. Can I share one thing that really frustrates me as a guest? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, Hey, do you want to be on my podcast by email or LinkedIn or whatever? I'm like, yeah, I I say yes to everyone. I don't care about, so I'll offer a minor frustration when I reach out to people that I'd like to have on my show. And they're like, can you share your audience numbers? I'm like, okay, this is too transactional. I'm out. So that's one. But in any case, I I say yes to everybody. I don't care about their audience. I want to spend time in conversation. If people are interested in my ideas and the things that I care about, I want to spend time with them on it because they're important to me and I enjoy talking about them. And I want other people to know and understand them similarly to the way that I do. And it's a privilege to be invited. So I say yes to everyone. And Oftentimes, what some of them, you like when you maybe don't have that feeling like, ah, you know, is this is this a great opportunity or not? <laughs> the thing that always catches me is they send me to that form where, you know, I schedule and then I fill out all my information. And then at the end, there's the checkbox that that's that I am certifying that I'm going to promote it on social media and I'm certifying that oh, I'm no. going to promote it by email. Like checkboxes. It's like, wait a minute. <sighs> I thought you. Thought you were interested in me and my ideas and my experience and my stories, but really you're interested in leveraging me to grow your audience or to get exposure into new communities. And I get it. I just, just a transactional nature of requiring someone or even getting someone to commit to something like I've checked the box and not done it. That sucks for me. I've checked the box and done it, but that also sucked for me. Like it just yeah. something, something about, I mean, because it is an exchange of publicity and knowledge and experience and, and hopefully you will promote it and hopefully they will promote you. And like, so that doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not there. It is there, but there's something about calling too much attention to it. Or is it just being, does that just make it seem like that's their intent? That that it's just that transactional, right? I feel like you earn it. All of us have to earn it. Like anyone in sales or marketing or even customer service or customer success, you earn it. Like if, if I have a, if I have a good experience and, and I enjoyed it and I can tell that you put some thought and care into it, I am happy to promote it. And I tell hosts that all the time. Hey man, I can tell you just like I've heard before. I can tell you read the book. I loved your questions. I love that you were very specific about what you really wanted to unpack about this idea on page 125. Like when this thing comes out, let me know and I'd be happy to promote it. And I, you know, I don't always promote all appearances. That's good for you to say, because you just told everyone listening that you were, you would accept all guest invites. So it's good. It's good I do. for them. <laughs> I do. I'll appear on every show. And, and it just kind of depends. Like if, if I leave right. the experience and I'm not proud of that experience and it's not yeah. something I want to share, or it was the exact same interview that I've done, you know, several times before Yeah, I may not, but if someone like, yeah, anyway. We don't need to totally get that idea. Up. Well, we you know, I, I had that, that happened to me too, where a book author and you know, you know how it is. Do you have your book handy? Can you hold it up where you're doing the whole thing where, you know, you do the picture. I had a book author say, I really need you almost require you to hold up my book and do a video on LinkedIn about it since I was on your podcast. And it just was like it, that same feeling like you're kind of cringy. And unfortunately I never did it. And he probably hates me, but it just, it was too, it seemed too forced. I mean, I'd much rather be like, 
I would love to, because this is a yeah. cool book or That's I learned it. a lot from you. And, and here's the thing, the sincerity of the way you're going to talk about or share someone's stuff yeah. is something people can notice. Yeah. That's what I mean by earning it. Like when you earn it, it's just a thousand times better. Right. And I'm someone who really has a hard time faking that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And this ties back to even your, your mention of prep. I'd love to get into the prep specifics with you. You mentioned you'll try to read the book. You'll do the 30 pages, the 50 pages. Talk to me about that because I generally don't read the book, but I, I tell them I won't because if I've already learned the stuff, then why would I talk to them? That's how I feel at least. Like I, I want to learn it fresh. And ideally, if I've learned scratch of the surface, then I'll be inspired to go read the rest of it. That's my take. But what? tell me about investing the 30 pages or the whole book. Yeah. By the way, I read the whole book every time. Really? Yeah. And I read with a pencil. And then if I, and I mark things differently, and if I really like the book, and I've done this with dozens of books now, I'll actually commit the time to make a Google doc for each book that I've read and type out the notes Wow. that I marked in the book. Now, so for example, this is one that I'll, uh, I'll be interviewing Allie Cudby soon. I really enjoyed her book. I just typed out all the notes. And then the next thing I'm going to do is go back through my notes and look for the things that I think are the most interesting conversation points. Wow. And it's not just to get into her and the details of her book, it's to connect her and her book to this ongoing broader conversation that we've been having on this show. And so that's the unique privileged position of a host is that you're creating this ongoing conversation, this ongoing storyline that if people choose to tap into it all kind of each episode is unique, but together they make something you're exploring a point of view, you're testing a point of view about the world, or you're trying to really go deep on a particular topic. And so for me, I want to get into the book for a couple of reasons. One, so that I can ask better questions. Two, so that I can find some of the most interesting things. And I'll, and I'll even go, you know, I spend a fair amount of time on LinkedIn in particular. And so I know what's kind of interesting or hot or what's up for debate or what seems to be you know, a misused or abused term or word, you know, these yeah. kind of things. Like I'm not trying to create a, a super topical show that's insanely relevant for the next three months. You know, I am trying to create these useful um, conversations that someone, you know, if someone just chooses to go back into the back catalog of episodes, they can find really valuable ones. And that it, I, I expect and hope that that is the case. But I'm also looking to pull out things that, that people are talking about now. And so, you know, if I know her, her perspective on this book is a customer service and customer experience book, and she consults people on how to improve essentially customer loyalty based on customer lifetime value. And so, nice. you know, it reminds me, I did a great, and the, the other reason is then it reminds me of other episodes that I've done on similar themes and topics and I can, you know, pull those into the conversation as well. And so anyway, you can prep that in advance too. Yeah. And, and so, wow. so if the, the, here's another just prep tip. I use listennotes.com. Just go to listennotes.com and I'll type in my guest name. So if they haven't published a lot, like, you know, especially if I'm trying to dive deep into a segment or a role or a function, and I'm talking with people that haven't, you know, someone who wrote a book is obviously present on social and you can learn about a lot about them. They've probably written a lot of blog posts. They've, if they've written books, so you can read a lot of their stuff and pick and choose a couple things that are going to be fun and interesting conversations. But with someone that hasn't been publishing as much, 
you don't understand them as well. And so I'll go to listennotes.com, type their name in and try to find them on other wow. people's shows. And, and I'll listen to them on other people's shows the same way as a guest. If someone invites me onto their show, I always try to listen to two or three episodes. I do the latter, what I just mentioned, so that I can get a sense of who the host is, the way the show's structured, their pace, their personality type. Am I, you know, with kind of a a gruff, hardcore, you know, person, or am I with like a really jovial, loose, you know, free person or like, you know, what is their cadence of speech? Because we've been in those awkward conversations. We're like, is that? dude done talking or not done talking. I can't tell. And now there's this awkward pause that we need to edit. Maybe I do the former, which is listen to guests I have coming up on other people's shows Mm -hmm. to really get a sense of them and their pace of speech. But you know, what do they really enjoy talking about when they got lit up on someone else's conversation? What were they talking about? And it also gives you insights that you really can't get anywhere else because again, I typically do that when they're, when they haven't published very much online, man, you, I love this. I, this is already just valuable for me because I I realize how much more prep you do than I do. And I thought I even did a little bit, but like, man, talk to me about reading the book, because I feel like this is like a mind expander for me right now. You mentioned that having read the whole book, you'll ask better questions in my mind. I it's hard for me to get around the idea of, if I already know the answer, I don't want to ask the question because that seems disingenuous. So how, how do you ask a basic question to get the author to state their like basic thesis without pretending like you don't know it? Okay. A couple things. When someone has written a book, I try not to make the book the whole thing. Mm, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. And in, I guess the, the one way that I ask questions based on what I've read is that, you know, I'll take a few choice and I've done this a number of times. And what I'll do is I'll take a quote out of the book and say, Hey, and I might even create this as like the second or third section of the conversation, right? I'll say like, okay, what we're going to do like for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to read you a quote from, from your book. Yes. I'm going to quote you to you. Mm, And then then I'd let, you know, you know, and, and that's worked sometimes well, sometimes not as well. You know, I'll read someone's words back and they're like, yeah, that's totally true. I'm like, uh, okay. I need to, so, uh, it, so I'm still working on that process, but one of the ways I'll do it is like, you know, I read this line and I'll tell you what I thought about it in the context of, you know, what you were talking about there. Tell me, you know, why this is important or how you arrived at that conclusion or, you know, how this message has been received in the market at large, you know, this kind of a thing. And so instead of talking about what's in the book, we're talking about what that idea means in the broader. So the, the vehicles, the, the vehicle itself is the book and it's still being promoted through the conversation. And people know that this person's written a book and they're authoritative on this topic, but we're really talking about the ideas themselves and kind of like, kicking them around and talking about them at a different level. And so authors are certainly among the people that say, Hey, I do a lot of these. So someone like David Meerman Scott, I assume we've both interviewed him perhaps more than once. What's up, David? (laughs) Yeah. So, so he's, you know, he's written a bunch of books. He's done tons and tons of, I'm thinking of another person like Mark Schaefer, who's written several books. You know, these guys are doing often now, like one of the most common tactics for an author is to do, you know, as many as a hundred interviews and try to get them all to be released within a, say a 10 day period around the yeah. launch of the book and create this like big splash. I feel like that, that, that's, that's probably going to fade in the background. It requires a lot of coordination. I don't know if it ever worked, but it was like yeah. a theory someone developed and it seemed like a really good one. And it probably does work at some level. 
But in any case, this type of person is doing so many interviews that I personally feel like if I can make them feel like or understand, and by feel, I don't just mean give them the false impression of, I mean, actually feel in a kind of a tangible way, like this person, A, exposed himself to my ideas, B, was thoughtful and reflective about my ideas, and C, really wants to get into it about these ideas that it is going to be one of these shows that is a more favorable, more memorable, more impactful guest experience, and probably a different listener experience as well. I love that. Yeah, you're definitely I, sorry. Selfishly, last thing. Yeah. Selfishly, yeah, I am reading so many more books in the last three years than I was in the three years prior. And it's because it gives me a hard deadline. Yeah. You know, right. Whereas before it was like, ah, you know, I'll chip away at this thing this weekend. Now it's like, oh damn, I got to get this thing read this weekend. Cause I'm interviewing this person on Wednesday and I need to, you know, so, so like it, it really, and it's not an obligation. I don't read books that I don't want to read. I don't accept people who are inviting themselves because obviously, you know, this very well, Casey, and anyone who is launching a show or who is maybe, I think maybe 10 episodes in, you're probably going to start getting unsolicited pitches for people to be on your show. I don't accept people whose ideas aren't interesting to me or whose work I'm not interested in or whose book I don't want to read. I don't read things I don't want to read. So, so that's another one. It, it gives me a deadline and it really, and it allows me to like understand the ideas in a much, much deeper level too. Selfishly, it has me reading a lot more books, which I think is favorable in the end. And you're not reading books because I was just going to ask him, what if the book sucks? You know, what if you get, have you ever had this happen? You don't have to name any names, but like, have you ever gotten like two pa- pa- you know, chapters in and you're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yes. Or no, because you just picked wisely. Well, yes. I mean, there are, I'm, I'm looking at one right now. Like, <laughs> these people, re- an agency reached out on this company's behalf and said, hey, we noticed, you know, you have a, a podcast. We noticed that you've left video reviews on other customer experience books. Would you read this book? And I said, yeah, I'll absolutely read it. So they sent me the book and I haven't done the follow-up yet. And the reason I mixed on it is I, I one of the fundamental premises is one that I'm still wrestling with. And I don't want to write, I don't want to be confrontational in the interview. Although I think it's an interesting conversation. You seem to conflate this as this. (laughs) I don't see it that way. And I've asked a lot of people about it. You know, tell me where I'm wrong, you know, kind of a thing. So it could be interesting. Like it's, I I read the whole book, uh, but I haven't, I haven't done a video review for it yet. And I haven't invited um, the, the, the people onto the show, because I'm not quite sure what I want to do with it yet. I have also read books that I didn't super love, but that said, I mean, so much of a, a, a not great book experience isn't because the ideas aren't important or worth talking about. It's because it was structured poorly mm. or written poor. You might not be a great writer or you might not have a great editor, but you could still have a great conversation because this is your life's work in so many cases. You know, yeah. so for me, the two books that I've written, I've been working in the space for a decade. The first book I had written after, I think, six or seven years of being steeped in a particular philosophy and practice of using personal videos and video messaging and video emails to, to build relationships and increase revenue. And so even if you didn't like the book, you could still have a good conversation with me because I'm right. steeped in it. And other people are decades into their practice that, that 
finally led to the to the writing of a book. The key p- points come out of this. I'm writing them down like mad is it, it doesn't the interview doesn't have to be locked in on the book. It, it, no, no. And and also I, re- I do recall there was a particular accountant that talks about finance and simple math finance book. And it was really helpful. And actually, I hired him for like half a day just to consult with me and teach me things. But I read his book before going to that. So we wouldn't spend like the really expensive, valuable time, him teaching me something I could have read, you know, for $13. So I was like, I need to read this so I can maximize the the rest of the time on the really advanced questions. And so that for me, I'm seeing that now for podcasting. Well, maybe the next time I have an author, I will put some time into reading. I know maybe the audience doesn't get the basics, but maybe maybe we'll get the book to get the basics, but I, that'll allow me to ask my advanced questions and I'll get more value out of it. Yeah. Or, or even on a more surface level, kind of like the why or some additional context around something. I'll also say another gift you can give an author. Gosh, we're, we're spending a lot of time on authors and books, but another gift you can give an author is like, Hey, by the way, you know, chapters one through three, you're going to get a, like a quick walk through the basics of X, Y, and Z. And you're going to hear stories about this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to jump past that and blah, 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 right? This idea Ooh. that you can kind of do some of the summary for them in 10, 15 seconds as an implied endorsement, if you actually really liked it, the, the listeners know what you just jumped over. It's kind of a soft content-based tease for the book itself. And it lets the author know that you know what was happening there, but you want to dive to something even more relevant for what you're doing again with the broader arc of the podcast itself. Um, Where does this person's ideas fit relative to, you know, all the episodes that it's going to release before and after, you know? Right. Right. And, you know, and you mentioned you were were having fun with authors here, but you know what, if if the person's written a blog post or they've done any, their activity on LinkedIn and taking interest in what they've done so we can, you know, better understand them, you know, researching wherever else they've spoken, all really good stuff. I'd love to shift from the prep side now to the start of the show. How do you start your show? Do you have any, you know, pre-show rituals? And then, you know, how do you like to begin? Okay. So I, I created essentially a landing page that goes through all the basics because I have, I have kind of a structure for the show. It's I write and read and open, and we'll get into that in a minute because it's controversial. I always (laughs) ask people the same opening question, which is when I say customer experience, what does that mean to you? I I will allude to some of the other kind of opening types of questions and follow-ups that I'll do. And then I always close the same way. I tell the guests in advance on this landing page, you know, you'll know that we're winding down because I'm going to cross promote two other episodes with either a similar guest or a similar topic. And then I'll give you, I'll ask you the two last questions, which are thank or mention someone who's had a positive impact on your life or career and give a nod or a shout out to a company or brand that you personally appreciate for the experience they deliver for you as a customer. So you get to sit in the customer seat on that one and, um, and just give a shout out or even tell a story. And so I get all kinds of great stuff. So I, I walk through that structure in a little video and I type it up a little bit for people. So they know that in advance. So when we jump on, we're pretty much ready to record. Um, Okay. So real quick, you, you have a video. So do you do a prep call as well? Or instead you have a video they can watch? I I have a, I have a Calendly invite for a 15 minute prep call and it's totally optional. I leave it up to the guest, whether or not they want to do that. 
um, because I'm sending video messages and communicating with these people, whether I'm inviting them or I'm in accepting their cold invite or they've been recruited onto the show, they, they've met me a little bit. I'm already doing some of this talk and I say, hey, I've got some details down below. You look like click the first link to, you mm. know, pick a, a date on the calendar for our recording. And the second link kind of walks through the basic, you know, logistics of the show, how it's structured and the specific questions I'm going to ask. Right. So that we don't have to do that when we get on. When we get on to the live recording, I will say, hey, do you have a chance to chat? I'll confirm because one the one time I didn't confirm that they knew the questions, I caught a guest absolutely flat-footed with that thinker mentioned someone who's had a positive impact on your life or career. Oh, and it was yeah. just like, it took all the wind out of the conversation, which is so awkward. So anyway, I ask everyone to confirm like, hey, do you kind of know what we're doing here? I confirm that we're good till the top or bottom of the hour. So, cause I'll, I'll make sure to honor it. But if they, if they're clear for like the rest of the afternoon, um, if we're having something really good happening, I'm not going to kill it or like kind of punch my way out of the end of it just to end at an arbitrary time if they don't have to. So I always like to confirm that out of respect. And in another case, like, hey, I actually only have 45 minutes so, and, and I'll honor that. So I do like two, three minutes of just quick, like, hey, you know, check the, check all those boxes, make sure everything's good. And then, as I said, I read and open that I write in advance. Now, most people will just jump into it. And I have had some pushback on this format. Most people will record an intro after the interview is done and they'll tell their guests, I've been told this a number of times, hey, you know, I'm just going to immediately welcome you to the show because I'll read the intro after we record. And the advantage of doing that is, you know, you can make more specific promises in your intro about what exactly happened in the conversation. From a guest experience perspective, and that's what I'm using to justify keeping this format, and I'll tell you my only kind of feedback loop on this that keeps me doing it as soon as I'm done describing it, I read this open, and what I do is kind of characterize the, a couple things we're going to be talking about, like directions, areas, zones of conversation that we're going to be getting in. Then I say, and we're doing it with today's guest who is, you know, qualification, qualification, background, things they've published, titles they've held, you know, so-and-so welcome to the customer experience podcast. And the reason I do that is that a, then I don't, I, the, people can understand some of the important context of like, who is this person? Where are they coming from? Why are they qualified to speak on this topic? Well, I already handpicked the background information that I found compelling for why I want to have this conversation with that person. I've also made some promises right off the top to the listener and to the guest about where we're going, because I don't get into those details with the guest in advance. I don't turn over a bunch of questions. I just tell them the first one and the last two, and I promise them everything mm. in between is going to be fun and easy. Mm, um, gotcha. And that, and that they'll enjoy the process. The reason I read that to them in advance is that, A, I don't have to do anything afterward. It's kind of, I'm doing the work on the front, so I don't have to do it on the back. B, I feel like I'm in the zone close enough that I'm making specific enough promises for a listener. But the key thing is the guest knows I did my homework. I see them as the expert that they are. I'm excited about this conversation. I feel they're very well qualified and a great person to have this conversation with. And they're welcomed. And my feedback or my evidence that this is an appropriate approach is that because I record them and I edit all the video clips myself, I can see their faces because I'm, mm. you know, I'm obviously kind of reading and I do practice that once before we get on the call. So I make sure that it's well-written by the way, pro tip for anyone who does any writing, 
read your writing aloud before you publish it. And I promise you're going by reading it out loud, you're going to find ways to improve it that you wouldn't find just by reading it on the screen. So I read it out loud in advance just to make sure I have it down and that it's not clumsy in any way. But when I watch them on the recording, you can see people react to it. They immediately know that I know who they are. And this isn't just some transactional drive-by thing that I'm doing in the middle of my day. It's like, and it builds the energy into the welcome and that first question. And so they can tell I'm excited about having them and that I know how awesome they are. And I want to convey, I want to transfer that emotion right off the bat so that they feel valued. Yeah. Yeah. And, and welcome and confident yeah, and comfortable. All the good fuzzy feels. Now I'm, I'm with you on this one. I, I love seeing the smile and the blush and the laughter and the joke to kind of push off the awkward, good feelings that they don't want to feel in that moment. Like, wow, that was really good. Thank you. And I feel like that, if you, to your point, if you get that feedback where the, the visual or just that audible, like, damn, man, that's a great intro. And sometimes I joke probably too often that they can clip that and make that their like wake up alarm clock, you know, in the morning of like, oh, this person, welcome to the show. So yeah. Yeah, I, I love that, that passing energy along. I guess I'd have to ask then, is the opposite of that just pre-recording and they don't hear it? You're just like, yeah, All right, what, Ethan, what, three, two, one, go. And we just, we're on now. They don't get a chance to hear that you know who they are. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And then very often those shows will have the guest introduce themselves, which A, can sometimes be awkward and or B, unless you really frame it as a specific question, you're leaving the guest wide open to go wherever the heck they want. So it's like, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. In middle school, blah, blah, blah. I know, 19 right? years like, ago, right? Yeah, like, like they don't, they're not quite sure where to go with it. And if they haven't done their homework of listening to a couple of episodes of your show, they don't know what's super relevant to the audience or the, or, or the conversation or the context. And so the advantage of recording the intro afterward is you can make very specific promises. Be sure to be, be sure to listen to the end because about two thirds of the way through, they break down the structure of how to do X, Y, and Z, right? It's a very specific promise that I'm not putting myself in a position to make. But again, I feel like if the guest is well-selected I've prepared well for them that they're made to feel confident, comfortable in the right place. I'm, I'm really tapping into the things that excite them and that they're expert on yeah. that that should draw the listener through blended with, you know, kind of the topics that I'm interested in getting to and that I've included in that introduction. So I am bypassing any need for someone to introduce themselves, which is a little bit of a time saver. So I feel like I'm accelerating the pace and the energy and even the content by kind of jumping um, onto their background and qualifying them myself so they don't have to do it. Yeah. You know, what, what came to mind there is the accelerating the time to value with the good content for the listener, right? Thank you. That's really good. This so yeah. that's another part of this debate, by the way, is a lot of people say like, you should never ask guests about their background. You should just get into it to accelerate time to first value, which I buy in theory, but I want to know as a listener and or I want to expose as a host why this person is here. Like, you have to. You have to. I, I feel uh, like I it, mean, but... unless you're Rogan and you're inter interviewing someone that, you know, Jewel or something, and we all assume we know who Kinda that know. is. Oh, yeah. Hi, yeah. Hi, Jewel. Okay, cool. That's fine. But 
if you're yeah. not interviewing Jules, <laughs> and even still, it might be great to hey, Emmy award winning, blah 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 blah. Jules yeah. from the show. And you know? for the younger listener, they have no idea who. Yeah, she is. they don't. People Wait, younger than you're us. You're interviewing a, a diamond, a, a like an yeah. actual ruby. No, no, no. It's a person with that's their only name. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love so time to value for content. And the other thing that came up for me as you were saying that was not everyone can do certain things, right? And so there's probably a laundry list that will eventually build of things that guests aren't naturally good at. Introducing yourself is a discipline. It's a practice. It's it's an elevator thing. And people aren't usually good at it. If you ask me, I don't think I have my three sentences prepared right now. And so if, if you're the host, I you got to imagine... You're really good at introducing, right? Like, hey, you've just introduced, you've introduced over 207 people. You're probably pretty good at it and you'll probably do a better job than the guests. So why not let them have a pass on that? Because you're they're not here to show you how great at introducing themselves they are. They're here to tell about something else, you know? They're really interesting. I hadn't thought about it quite in that way, but you're right. It's the people who are really good at it are going to come off as probably slightly robotic because- yeah it's very well prepared because they put a lot yeah. of thought into it. Borderline um, douchey. <laughs> potentially could cross into that territory. Um, you know, and I'm sure a handful of people can do that really, really well. Right. Uh, but right. the people that are really good at it are, have, are, are a bit polished, I guess. We'll just say yeah, that's polished, polished. Yeah. Which could bleed into that other zone. <laughs> but, you know, the, and then people who aren't accustomed to doing it, again, you're just giving them this free reign to wander and it's not going to be, probably great for them or for you or for the listener. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, what's that list? So they're not necessarily good at opening. They're not good at introducing themselves. I also find guests aren't naturally good humans anyways, at telling, telling a, a story, right? Like we can be very unscripted about stories. Uh, that's why even Ted talks, right? It's a 15 minute Ted talk. You spent 10 hours on right crafting it making it short and sweet at least point. at least at least right so it oh, man there's, there's something about telling a story where it's probably not your opening question because that that introduces the ramble monster and that ramble monster it you can have the audience check out but worse it can have the host check out and if you check out well then now you're on the back of a, a rodeo horse and you're you're in trouble right so there, there's anything else come to mind that, that maybe the hosts just aren't trained and, and good at doing that we should avoid? No, I mean, I've never caught myself in a bad situation where, where the guest was really flat-footed and couldn't come up with anything besides, again, a big personal question like, that, that's who's it. had a positive impact on your life yeah. or your career? That's why I telegraph that in advance. Right, that's another um, good one. And, yeah. and the other question that I do prepare people for because different, so so I'll, I'll ask the opener, which is define customer experience. I'll typically ask as kind of the, in a couple follow-up questions there. Yeah. And then my second question is typically, and I do, I do preview this for them in that landing page. Hey, for people who aren't familiar, tell us about insert company name. Who's your ideal customer and what problems do you solve for them? And so A, I want to give them a chance to talk about their company. I do think that that's a little bit of a kind of a contextual thing. So as we're starting to get stories and examples 
and story arcs even about how you built this customer success organization or mm. why you decided to retire your outbound strategy or whatever the case may be that, that we know a little bit about, you know, is this an enterprise organization that's selling eight figure deals or is this a, a mom and pop that's really a geog geographic play? And, you know, so the context of the business helps, but not everyone is fantastic. Just like they're not great at introducing themselves necessarily. Yeah. Some people in an organization are not as well equipped to describe in short order what their company is and what they're about. And that's why I right. asked the question of like, who's your ideal customer and what problem do you solve for them? I also asked that question because I think it's a really good question. Right. And I, and I think this problem orientation, this, what problems are you solving is, is really a key component to a good customer experience in general. It's also critical to marketing, sales, and customer success. And the show that I'm creating is not for CX architects and CX engineers. It really is the everyday practitioners show, the revenue operators show on right. how to improve the experience for your customers. And so knowing your ideal customer and the problem you're solving, I think, or at least having that as a conversation point in this broader customer experience conversation is important. So I give them a chance to talk about their company and I do it in that particular way, but I do preview that question so that they've given it a little bit of thought or they at least know it's coming because I don't want them feeling awkward about talking about their own business. Not that it's awkward to talk about your own business, but when I give you that platform, I want you to be prepared to say, we are, I don't know, the world's foremost experts at X, Y, and Z, and we serve all kinds of people, but these are the people we serve the best because the problem that we're tackling is that this, that, or the other thing. And so I want to put them in a position again, to, to be really kind of put together or to be a little bit thoughtful about, and to really capitalize on this, on this moment or opportunity that I'm giving them so that they look their best in that moment. Right, right softball pitch, cue it up, let them know. Even if it's a fastball, they know it's coming. So the intros, the stories, the deep personal questions we're reminding them about. If, if we're going to ask them to do something challenging, case studies can be challenging too, or numbers from their company, like just the idea of thinking and about I'll, an event. I'll, I'll kind of right? hedge on some of those. Like, I don't yeah. want anyone to like, I don't want anyone to feel like when I'm asking for a story or an example or or some evidence of some kind, I don't want them to feel like I'm challenging what they're like. Sure. I don't really believe you. Can you provide some evidence <laughs> for that? You know, um, so, so I, I call it, you know, you know, uh, you know, has your team done any research around this? Like, do you have any kind of like stories or examples that, that or stats you'd like to share around that? Like, I'll give it that as an optional Um because A, I'm if I want to know, I want to know, and so I'll ask for it. But B, I don't want them to feel like I'm kind of pushing them into a corner and challenging, you know, the, their their theories or their suggestions. And, and they don't want to. They try not to say no, right? They try not to say, uh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any stories around that. Sometimes it happens, but I think as a host, we're trying to help them avoid, uh, you know, a, appearing lacking of anything we're asking of them. So giving them a sense for what's coming, no surprises. Again, it's not about shock value. It's not about having you feel flat. Like if you're flat footed, that's my fault. Like you, you should have been prepared to know how to answer the, the, the deep ones. And, you know, honestly putting, you know, deep questions like that toward the end, when there's that trust, you don't open with a deep personal question, right? You open with something they can knock out of the park. How do you end? You've, you've mentioned it a little bit. You end with some similar questions. 
Do you have any meditations? Do you start mumbling, pounding your chest? Or like, what happens at the end of the podcast? Yeah, you know, I'm keeping an eye on the clock ballpark, especially if they need to be out by a particular time. And when I've kind of my outline that I create for the show, I'm typically over ambitious and I find myself kind of nearing the end of the time without getting to some. So, so I find a way to bridge into topically cross promoting two other episodes that either have a similar guest, right? Like I'm hosting a chief revenue officer. So I'm going to find two other good chief revenue officer things and like, Hey, you know, I kind of turn a little bit and talk to the listener. Hey, you know, if you've enjoyed this conversation with, with Jeff, uh, I've got two more that I think you'll really enjoy on episode yeah. 173. I talked to this person who's a chief revenue officer at this other thing. And we kind of dived into a couple of these key ideas and I'll kind of bring the guests back into it. Hey, you know, remember when we were talking about this that or other thing, we ha- also kind of got into that theme on that one. So that's 173 with this person. And then a little bit earlier on 125, blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, before I let you go, I'd like to, to give you the chance to do two particular things. And then I, you know, give them these questions. And of course I do the standard, like, you know, and I probably say it this way too often. Hey, if someone's listening at this point, 48 minutes into this conversation, they probably enjoyed it as much as I did. So if they want to follow up, learn more about you, learn more about your book, learn more about your company, learn more about your podcast. I try to kind of, you know, prop up their work a bit and give them a chance then to tell people where to go. And then that becomes my note to make sure to add it to the, you know, to the show notes. What I really liked about what you were saying is I'm perceiving the control you keep on the situation. And I think sometimes podcast hosts forget that or they give that up or your just brain is mushed by the end. So you just sort of like you're trying to just tiptoe crawl out of the end of the podcast. But then if you're not clear about when you want your 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 guests to speak, they kind of hop over you at the end and you're kind of this little mishmash. And, and, I, and I get the, the clear picture that you start clean and you end clean and you're like i'm gonna give you a chance to say these things and answer this and i'm talking to you and i'm talking to the audience i just i love that control i think i just want to highlight that that you're you're doing that and i also i've never heard of the the idea of the cross promotion of two other episodes but it's gotta help your listeners just to hear that that sounds like it'd be really cool I hope so. And sometimes I choose, sometimes I have the opportunity to like really make it about the guest even like yeah. I actually met, I actually met Jennifer who we just spent 45 minutes with through, you know, my previous guest, blah, 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 you know? Oh, so cool. like I, I, it gives me the opportunity to do a, a variety of different things. And I, some, I, I approach which two episodes I'm going to pull in different ways for different people. And most importantly, I don't expect anyone is, out on a run or raking their lawn or walking their dog and taking note of episode 173 with Jeff. I want them to leave with the impression that A, there are other interesting and valuable conversations with people like this person or with people in similar roles or with similar challenges or in similar businesses or industries. I should go, you know, I should go check that out. I also hope that it gives people a reason to go to the main landing page, which is bombbomb.com slash podcast and kind of scroll right. the episodes. So I don't expect that it's producing a lot of specific listening activity, but it, I want, I do want to constantly give this impression that this is part of a bigger conversation that we continue to have here. And whether this is the first time you're listening or the 18th time or the 80th time, there's still more for you. 
Yeah, it's such a value add for the listener that you, that you do that. And, and I hope, honestly, and, and I hope that yeah. it doesn't like. I I try not to make it this. You know, I'm trying to do it contextually relevant. Casual, it's right? It's not just yeah. this like. By the way, we're the number one ranked <laughs> podcast in X, Y, and Z, and we do X number of zillion downloads in X number of you know dozens of countries, and we're freaking amazing. And you should go listen to it. it's like that's hey, this I'm episodes. trying to make it like yeah. valuable and helpful for right. people. Right. Oh, totally. Quick question, very meta. Now that I've learned from you, I should have asked you for the time stop. Do you have a time stop in six minutes? I do. Okay. Good to know. Couldn't know. We'll have you back for episode nine, 10, 11, and 12. No worries. I, I would, I would be happy to have this conversation anytime. I obviously care about it a lot. I'm trying, always trying to learn and grow and right. talking through things that you don't normally talk about is super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so true here. I, here, I thought I could get away with, you know, blocking off an hour, but a topic that's so fascinating like this, everything you're sharing is just a different way that someone equally as passionate about these topics can talk about these things. So, you know, really, you know, last two questions, potentially sneak them in here. You have a biggest challenge with podcasting right now? I don't know if it's, uh, if it's a, yeah, it is a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm still kind of up in the air about where I want to go exactly with the show. And by that, I mean, I can rope almost any working professional and certainly anyone in sales, marketing, and customer service, customer success into a customer experience conversation. I've also gone into the product and dev side and bled into kind of UI and UX. I've dived a little bit into kind of the HR or talent management side because you can't talk about customer experience without talking about employee experience. Bomb Bomb again is kind enough to make this thing happen from a financial standpoint through my own time and the other resources that it's that are required to do this well. And so am I making sure that this is of value to bomb bomb from an employee perspective, as well as from a, an audience growth and target customer, ideal customer account-based marketing perspective. And so there are a lot of conversations I want to have on the show, but now I'm constantly in this tension of like, my personal interests versus what's good for the show versus what's good for the company and making sure that I'm constantly probing and testing that so that this is worth it. Yeah. I know that it's worth it. If I just pursue my own interests, I know it's worth it for me, Yeah. but I want to make yeah. sure that it's worth it for the people that have made the show successful yes. over the years so far. And I want to make sure that the company still feels like it's a good value for the company's investment. And so I'm constantly kind of testing that intersection. And that that's that's always a challenge for me. 100%. First of all, I appreciate the fact that you, you combined my question, which is challenge in the future into one. Beautiful. And I, I hear you and I feel like that'll be a conversation for a future show. Just the idea of when you hit those milestones, 100, 200, when you hit those big moments and it you you start to evaluate, where do I want this to go? Does it get reinvented? Do I change it? Is there a new podcast for me? Just like taste change and all these other changes happen. We got to figure that part out. So I, I love that challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll keep, keep tabs on you to see what you do with it. I can't wait to, to find out, you know, what you're going to do with, you know, the next hundred and, and other podcasts you, you might create with the time we have left. Tell us, you know, where can we connect with you? Where can we reach out? Shout out the podcast. I feel like this was a masterclass in podcasting. So definitely put that out there so people can go listen and, and hear what you've been talking about. 
Awesome. First, thank you so much. I love what you're doing. I love this conversation. I got a lot more I would love to ask about and talk about. Right, I know. I, I, the answer is yes. Anytime you want to have me back again, my name is Ethan Butte. Last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. You can find me on every social platform by first name and last name. I tend to promote the show only on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Instagram is like more personal. I just have not, that's another conversation yeah. um, that I've not opted to kind of commercialize very much. And uh, the podcast is the customer experience podcast, pretty easy to find and pretty easy to remember. That's another conversation. How do we name our shows? Oh, yeah. So many questions. I think the way I named the show or the way the show is named is controversial in and of itself. At some level, people will debate, should it be that simple and authoritative or should it yeah. be something more clever? And uh, so it's a customer experience podcast. You can see all the episodes and the way we write them up at bombbomb.com slash podcast. I also made a page for it on LinkedIn. That's another conversation. Um, uh, so you can find the customer experience podcast on LinkedIn as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on here, dude. I absolutely appreciate it. What a great way to start. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Absolutely. And you know what? If you're listening to this, this, you just heard the first episode. And if you learned something and you're thirsty for more, share this with someone else, subscribe, all those different buttons, make them happen. And again, Ethan, thank you for being on episode number one. All right, everybody. This has been the first episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We will see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com. For more information on launching your own podcast or working with us to produce your existing show, come on down to the big tent at ringmaster.com. Until then, friends, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Work at it, if necessary, early and late, in season and out of season, not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour. That which can be done just as well now. P.T. Barnum.